The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast on Ringer SC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm that calm. makes me happy. I'm calm because I wasn't spiritually involved in the Premier League or Serie A title race. <laughs> Neither was I. <laughs> I wasn't really involved in, like, spiritually in any Premier League race on the weekend, even though there was a bit of a, you're saying there's a chance? There wasn't a chance. There was not a chance. No, there was not a chance. So it was all very calm, actually. It was very, it was quite freeing, not being emotionally involved in anything that was directly affecting you. Yeah, lots of friends around me were emotionally involved, profoundly so. Oh boy. Yes, absolutely. We'll get into that. But before we get to that, of course. Well, let's do some admin. So, uh, first of all, we hope everyone's staying safe and well, obviously. Yeah. Writers House this week will be the final one of the domestic seasons before the Women's Euros. Carla Mayoa will be joining Ian. We're going to do the Women's Champions League final in depth on Wrighty's house. Wow. Because Ian was there. Lucky for some. Covering it for zone. Lucky for some. So we thought that it would only be fair to get him doing the, the deep dive. Not bitter at all, but I didn't see any invites coming into my inbox for that. Me neither. <laughs> but obviously, props to Leon. Wow. They're, what, sixth in seven years? <laughs> astonishing. They were Unbelievable. <laughs> There I am doing my, like a fool doing, oh yeah, I'll do a prediction, even though I did not want to do a prediction and did a prediction and what happened? <laughs> my prediction was wrong. That's the last time I do any tipping. If any of you, if any of you <laughs> listeners <laughs> put money on anything I say, <laughs> sadly, the more fool you. <laughs> on that, before we move on from the rest of the, ad, uh, for the, to the rest of the admin, an unbelievable game of football, by the way, for those who haven't ca- caught it, for those who haven't caught it, 
go and watch it, get yourself ready, and we'll do it on Right Sounds properly because we've got a lot to get through today. And yeah. it only makes sense to have the man who was there to be the man giving you the lowdown. Absolutely. Well, on Wright's House also, we'll do a bit of a Premier League debrief. Just a bit more of a kind of wider thing about certain clubs. Yeah. Got a couple of bits coming up. Conference League final Wednesday. We'll be doing an episode about that. And then we'll obviously have the Champions League final next week. A quick one on Wright's House, by the way. It's going to go up a bit earlier. It's going to go up Tuesday evening, UK time, European time. So you get it a little bit earlier. So yeah, Stadios like normal. And then after the Champions League final, we'll do... I think we'll do a mailbag next week and maybe a couple of conceptual episodes and then we'll take a little bit of a break before the Women's Euros. But we'll update you with all the schedule soon. Um, other than that, Stadio.Football got some news coming this week. We were going to drop it in a newsletter and then do a proper newsletter because it's been a while in another couple of weeks. So if you want to sign up for the newsletter, scroll to the bottom, put your email address in. We don't pass it on to anyone. It's just for us to send you emails every now and again. Um, and the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. All the tunes will play out one. The newest one is at the top right today. We are going to touch on the Premier League final day. We're going to talk about Milan's first Scudetto in 11 years. We're going to talk about the German Cup final, a little bit about the Scottish Cup final, and then a little bit about Kylian Mbappe. So let's get into it after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, man, so... Wow. Where would you like to begin? Where do we have to begin? We have to begin with the Premier League title race resolved in favour of Manchester City, ultimately the fourth in five years, but not without drama, not without significant incident. What a final day this was. It was kind of wild, huh? Because City going 2-0 down to Villa, I don't think many people would have predicted quite that. I'm very smug about this, can I just say? Because for the though? first time ever, I chose the right game to watch. <laughs> and I always get it wrong, but well, somehow... All, so yeah. just because I didn't catch the, everything live, I had yeah. to watch it back semi-live mm. later, if that makes sense. But so did they only have one game on at a time where you were in Germany? I watched them on a couple of screens though. Oh. Yeah. Because so, I, I, yeah. I thought that they, this would have been the perfect day to have a, a Premier League conference. I agree, completely agree. Well, to be honest, the last day of any league season should be a conference. And that, for those yes, who don't realise, is when you cut between matches according to where the drama is. Um, so kind of like a football focus style where you've got... But you actually get to see the games yeah. as opposed to just people watching the games. It's amazing what they do in Germany for that. So th- that would have been incredible for the Premier League. So I, I was cutting between... Well, so for this, I was kind of checking scores, but I started the game watching Man City Villa because I just thought a team managed by Steven Gerrard is really going to go at Man City. Also, mm. you, you forget how many players in the Premier League have got like chartered sympathies with clubs like Liverpool. Yeah. So, you know, those, a lot of those sympathies will be undeclared, but they might add to the intensity. And Villa came out and were brilliant against Man City. They were brilliant. Like, and I had a feeling they might be good, but, but not, come on, but not, not that good. Um, so superb early header from Matty Cash. 
And then a brilliant Kylian Mbappe style finish from Ollie Watkins puts them two yeah. up. I loved Matty Cash's header. There's something about this kind of header where the fullback sneaks right in at the back post. Yes. And it's also a bit of, it's a bit of a morality tale, isn't it? Because it was Cancelo and Cancelo spent the entire year being brilliant in attack. <laughs> and it's like, aha, <laughs> <laughs> you have forgotten the fundamentals. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, so that was a brilliant start for Villa who played some great football. Coutinho looking superb and dictating matters. And City just really, not struggling to create, I wouldn't say that, but certainly struggling to break through because Villa really wanted this. Villa were playing as if they were playing for a Champions League place. Mm. Um, so they really came out and, and the nerves, you know, the nerves quickly came in because even after, and this is the thing, the funny thing is, Liverpool actually got a goal down within three minutes against Wolves. Yeah. So <laughs> Liverpool Did you really see needed. Face? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> see it. He was just like, of course we're 1 0 down. <laughs> the suffering is necessary. Yeah. But is it though? I don't think it's, it it's is. Not, it's not. It's I think, not. It's I think not. it's all a myth. It's like German efficiency. Well, to be honest, Spurs proved it wasn't necessary. Someone made it. Some, there's actually a really, really great, great um, tweet somebody sent. It said, hang on a minute. You mean to say that, like, in the most fraught final day of the season in a while, it was Spurs that kept their nerve and Spurs were outstanding. Like they've turned, if you look back in retrospect, they've turned the last few games of their season into something of a procession. And I know we'll get yeah, back totally. to them in a second for a moment, but just to give them their credit and their praise and Conte as well, the players have come in and slotted in brilliant, brilliant performance from Spurs. But back to um, Liverpool Wolves. Liverpool Wolves, so they, they go a goal down uh, and it, then they get a brilliant equaliser through Sadio Mane, a superb, superb assist from Thiago Alcantara. And then comes the moment that is really, really sad. Liverpool's season, potentially the injury shortly after Thiago Alcantara mm. that forces him off. It's a possibility he might miss the Champions League final. If that happens, the spectacle is far the poorer for it because if there's any player equipped to um, nullify what Madrid do so well, it's Thiago. If yeah. there's any player who can keep them honest and really give that midfield a different dimension. And he deserves to play in that final so much. It'd be really gutting for a neutral if he can't play. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a real shit. That's, that's awful, really. So here's, a, so here's the funny thing. So it's one all, Liverpool Wolves. And Liverpool at a point with, this is the thing. I, I was chatting to a friend of mine and he was like, well, I think that regardless of what happens, City is so relentless. I kind of disagree. I think that Liverpool, if they could have got that second goal against Wolves and put that extra pressure on, there was a window. There was a window. Yeah, there was Liverpool, a window. Liverpool had a few minutes to score the second to go ahead when City was still 2-0 down. But a funny thing happens, so Gundogan comes on. I think then Villa go 2-0 up and then Coutinho comes off. And I wonder if Gerard regrets that because that removal of Coutinho invites pressure. It invites that little bit extra pressure from City and that's where City got their three goals in five minutes. It was like three minutes after he scored. Right. This is the thing. Yeah. So I'm just almost like, I wonder if Gerard regrets that substitution because we saw it from the Women's Champions League final. Sometimes the best form of defence's attack. You don't beat Barcelona by sitting deep and inviting pressure in the women's game. You don't beat City by clawing on. You might get a draw that way, but very few teams beat them that way. How many times have we seen teams just sitting against City and how many times has it actually worked? Right. Like at but least... If you're, playing, yeah, yeah. if you're playing the way that you're playing and you're kind of doing all right, because to be fair, I thought Villa were okay. They I thought were, they were really good. Listen, here's the thing. Yeah. They weren't dominating so, possession, but they were counter-punching really well. Yeah. Yeah. And with and with City needing to come onto you a little bit more, 
having that space to actually have ball players on and get behind, I thought would have made loads of sense. I, I don't so. think that yeah. substitu- substitution worked particularly well because it also switched. If substitutions like that happening within what with 20 minutes to go or whatever can really switch the mentality of a side. They're a message. Okay, we've got something yeah. to protect now. It's yeah. like, well, just keep playing your football. You've got nothing to play for. This is a total free hit for you. It's not you winning the league. And Grealish says something so revealing. Grealish said, they interviewed him after the, after the game and he said, um, you know, I, at Tunnel, I thought it was done. That mm. is a guy on the bench ready to come in and try to decide a title race who cost £100 million, who psychologically was like, we were done at that point. This mm. is a guy that was warming up on the sides of the pitch and it's like, Villa just looked like it's happening for them. That to me, and I, you know, I, Gerard's done many, many good things coming in at Villa and he's made some impressive signings. But that is a thing I will say as a criticism. If you're making substitutions, which are giving an invitation to a, a side that's trying to win a title in the last 20 minutes, then that's a thing. That's a problem. I think that's a thing you look back at and go, I maybe made a choice there. Because I think he talked about this, um, Gerard, about like, you're not playing our football. So, well, you kind of gave City an invitation, if that yeah. makes sense. I also wonder what would have happened if Liverpool had scored when it was 2-0 because it would essentially right. have been, it would have felt like 3-0 Villa. Bingo. Thank you. Way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I yep, mean, it's yep. all could have, would have, should have, whatever. But, yeah, yeah. but it would have been interesting to see because that second Liverpool goal just came way too late. It was, it had already been turned around by then. Well, here's a hypothetical I want to throw into the mix as well. Watching Gundogan, such a brilliant poacher, two superb finishes, a far post header and a great um, run crashing the box for the, uh, the decisive goal. I just wonder, I said this on Twitter, how different football looks if Gundogan is just allowed to play as a striker or as a false nine in that Champions League final. Because he was doing so well and he was on a run of form. Here's the thing, you either like change everything for the finals, we said, or mm. you keep the players where they are and where they're thriving because he was absolutely superb in that. And mm. he was unmarkable in, in, the, mm. in that late run. So we wonder. Pep's interview about him after the game, I think it was uh, with Gary Lineker, was so good when he was talking about Gundogan. Wow. So, so good. Because he starts, to, he casually just throws in the, yeah, Johan Cruyff told me. Oh like, my God. I, love I was this. like, fuck, that is a, that is such a, a flex. flex. <laughs> that is such a flex. That's like, uh, that's like when you and me first started hanging out and I used to say to everyone, oh yes, yeah, so Musa. Oh, <laughs> You've got nerve saying that. Well, you know, fight <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he talks about that thing where he said, um, and he, he pulls this face where he, he, you can tell that he just loves talking about Gundogan. Mm. He says like, oh, Ilkay, he just has this, he has like the perfect timing of when to arrive in the box. Like Johan used to call me like, never too early, never too late, just like on time, you know, never rush kind of thing. That's that famous quote, isn't there, that Johan had said about rush, rushing. Like if you're sprinting mm. at a certain point, You've mistimed your run. Something's gone wrong. Oh, that's such a that's such a crow thing to say. That's it amazing. is such a crow thing, isn't it? But but he's so right about Gundogan. Like Gundogan's yeah. timing and just his overall game intelligence, I think is just unbelievable. unbelievable. And I think I said before when Nuri Sahin came through at, at Dortmund, I was my, I was just I thought he was a mind blowing footballer, and then there was talk that someone was coming along who was potentially even better, and I was like, that's not possible. Like Nuri Sahin, young Nuri Sahin is like. <laughs> was a beast and this guy comes in and like the mother's elegant there's a game when I think Man City beat Barcelona 3-1 in the Champions League in the group stages and Gundogan gets a couple and he's just the goals were the least impressive part of his game as brilliant as they were he's incredible like yeah he's, un- he's unreal he's unreal so City they did it they did it yeah by a point 
by a point, and they won this league without a prolific striker. That is, you know, that, that, look, they, they, wild. they spent the most money. Yes, absolutely they did. So that is a thing that has to be, if you're looking at how tough well, this over, was. To over win. a long amount of time. I don't think they did last season, did they? I think Arsenal did. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I'm, so, yeah, I'm always trying to like caveat this stuff because we all know what the kind of, the resources issue is. But just in terms of the tactical tweaks it takes mm. to win a league title without someone to consistently do that. Uh, you know, we've seen other struggles, other teams struggle without a consistent sort of goal score up front. And we've seen teams struggle even though they spent a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, so yeah, look at United, absolutely. You know, United are kind of the control experiment in this to show that actually you can spend huge sums and it's not a given that you'll execute. And just some of the football City have played this year is as good as you'll see from any team this generation, really. So yeah, their win was richly deserved. And I will say this about Liverpool as well, like there's only a couple of managers in the world that could push this City team as close as Liverpool pushed them. I think it's otherworldly what they've done, to be honest, over a sustained yeah, amount of time. Yeah, exactly. To, to be this competitive mm. in all these tournaments to the very end, mm. it, it's one of the great seasons. It should still go down as one of the great club seasons. I think it will, to be honest. Um, I really liked Klopp's, yeah. Klopp's message afterwards as well when he was congratulating them in his post-match interview. He like looked directly at the camera and said, Pep, City fans, the club, players, well done. You deserve it. Blah, 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 blah. That's classy. He's a dude, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Pep also said, he, he just said like, Liverpool have made us a better side because we've seen them coming at us and we know that we have absolutely had to be our maximum. Well, our look maximum how emotional Pep was some. at the end. Pep was in tears because- Yeah, thing, he was. Because he, no he, he knows how good this Liverpool side is. Pep's not, yeah. Pep's not stupid. No. He knows that what Klopp and Liverpool have been doing maybe bar that season when they had, uh, last season when they had all the injuries. But even then really, I mean, that's, there's a cap, you know, you've got a caveat there. He knows what Klopp and Liverpool have been achieving is wild. Yeah, he does. And the quality, the consistent quality of output from them, I think has genuinely given Pep more headaches than anyone else in his managerial career. I mean, obviously because he's been there longer than anywhere else, but I think Pep will lose, Pep loses probably more sleep over this Liverpool side than any other side. The one thing that, that I can compare it to, it's weird enough, is Tuchel's Dortmund. See, Tuchel's Maybe. Dortmund's attack, yeah. not, not, not quite the same, because he didn't sustain it for as long. I think Pep, Klopp is certainly the most sustained challenge he's ever had, I think, as a manager. Mm. Um, the Tuchel's Dortmund, that was one of the best attacks statistically that Dortmund ever produced, and it could only have been beaten by by Pep Spion. Mm. But this is the difference, of course, the fact that, you know, Tuchel's Dortmund was just for that brief time, right? But the ability of Klopp's Liverpool to evolve, like they just keep, and that's, you know, that's what Pep does. Like Liverpool's front line, you might, uh, most other managers would struggle to kind of find replacements for that kind of front line that was so established. We've seen Klopp bring in a couple of forwards. We've seen him bring in midfielders. Harvey Elliott's now back. He's replaced to an extent at the moment, Curtis Jones in the pecking order very briefly, but the pecking order keeps changing. So Klopp looks at that and goes, actually, this is a manager in his own style, but kind mm. of after my own heart in terms of how every season it's relentless, every season we get pushed closer. I mean, 15 minutes, there were 15 minutes where Liverpool could have won that. Mm. With 15 minutes from the league title, Liverpool, like if they just got that one more goal, like it's absolutely yeah. wild that they came that close. They had no right to really. So yeah, just an incredible season in the Premier League. I caught a Liverpool fan going, oh, the season's done now. Like, hang on a minute. Like, you still got the Champions League final. Like, I know. Come on, like, uh, you know, mind your, 
Mind your words, have some faith. Yeah, props to Man City though. Yeah. For all the financial might, they've still got to get it over the line. And yeah, like I say, beating that Liverpool side by a point. Some going, man. Yeah, yeah. Elsewhere in the Premier League? Well, let's touch on Chelsea very quick. I think we've said a couple of weeks ago they just need the season to be done. Mm. Yeah. New ownership. Yeah. Everyone gets a bit of a break. Move some of those players on when well, they've got a couple of players on. Obviously, Antonio Rudiger's gone. Uh, Christensen's gone. This is a big summer for Tuchel, actually. Mm. This is the next era of Chelsea now. This is a big summer for the club. It's mm. a big summer for him. I think they'll be fine. I'm just really interested to see where they go. I was going to throw in a hot take. What are you going to throw in? Don't do it. <laughs> Swap deal and money for Lautaro Martinez. And Romelu? Yeah. Wow. That's a hot take, but only because, you know, it's funny. The only reason I say that is because the irony being the fit, looking back, it's so retrospective, but actually a better fit, fit for Chelsea's attack is actually Lautaro Martinez. Mm. You could argue they bought the wrong striker, weirdly enough, only looking back because he combines very well with the pieces that I think that Chelsea have. But anyway, that's just a thought. So um, Chelsea to rebuild, but I think we have to talk about Spurs just because- We have to talk about Spurs. Antonio Conte, I mean, he's almost made a rod for his own back because- It's been a wild season for Spurs. Well, he's so, he was so dramatic in his pronouncements that it was easy yeah. to forget what was actually happening on the pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, he is a manager of famed intensity. And at the same time, he generates results, positive results, at a speed that almost no other manager can. There's almost no other manager in world football that can walk into a dressing room and that quickly can assemble a team that's been struggling into something far more formidable. Burnley's Mike Jackson wants a word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. I mean, Burnley, that's a tough gig. I mean, you know, it didn't gig. get him over the line, but you know, that, that bounce. Yeah, they just, oh, Burnley. No, no, Burnley no, just I, know, I know what I mean, but a tough gig, Burnley, just in terms of the debt situation, yeah. which is brutal for them. And uh, yeah, very sympathetic to that, of course. Um, but Conte just reconfiguring the Spurs side. But I always said this: like Spurs had really good pieces. Like this yeah, was they did. They, they've got. I mean, they've got a light. Let's say that the depth of the squad is not what it could be. It's not optimal. No. But they're not clown Spurs. They've got some excellent players like Serie's best defender in Christian Romero last year. Kane and Son, Son with a golden boot. Yeah, and all the goals. Salah. and yeah, no penalties. No, and that's you know, and that's. People make a lot of that, but it's about the chance creation. Like Son has scored. Yeah. If you look back over like the quality of goals he's scored, the variety of goals, this man is like left foot, right foot, devastating. Can play yeah, the off goal he flank. scored against Norwich, it's the second one, was absolutely unbelievable. It was just like, this was like someone playing at a level above everyone else who needed one more goal to get the golden boot. Yeah. It was just that. He was just like, I need one more. Right, fuck, I'm just going to cut inside here and just put this in the top It corner. was actually quite big Ian Wright against Southampton energy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Ian, Ian just went on that like. <laughs> yeah. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable, it was, just, yeah. it was so good. And there was something quite poignant about Benton Core and Kulisewski combining for the early goals for Spurs, just given yeah. that they've been, I mean, not to sound smug, because you never, you never know how good signings are going to get, but those signings looked brilliant from the moment they were made. I thought they had a good window. All the, yeah, this is, that was such a catfish. I don't know how there was this talk about, oh my goodness, the window's been bad. Where's this come from? Have you, have I think you watched we talked this about this on Stadio, right? We were saying like, I think this is quite a good window for Spurs. They, like not in terms of like volume, but for example, if you compare and contrast, <laughs> do you know what? Incredible. Because, because it fell in between two Stadios yeah. that were quite far apart and Spurs and Arsenal had already played other games before mm. we'd done the next one. We kind of didn't really talk about the derby much. But if you talk about the derby, mm. you look at the two derbies that Arsenal and Spurs have played this season. First one at the Emirates, 
second one at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And they completely mirror the development over the season, I think. That's so interesting. Because when Arsenal played Spurs at Emirates, Spurs let them play. Mm. Yes. When you let Arsenal play, they will they could torch you this yeah. season. That City, was one of the City things found about it. Out. Yeah, yeah. City found it out. But then Spurs make a new man uh, hire a new manager. In January, they sign the two players who will be difference makers through the rest of the season. And Ben Tancourt and Kulosevsky have been difference makers for Spurs in the second half of the season. Mm. Arsenal don't make a signing. And then you look at what happens when Arsenal comes to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They're under strength. They're knackered. Yes. And Spurs completely deal with them. Deal yeah. with them. And that's yeah. not. I'm not making excuses for Arsenal there. I'm saying that is to show that Spurs were massively prepared for the run-in. And Arsenal actually... While I have sympathy and I do think fifth is a good season for us, and we said it on Stadio, but when you look at how, I, I don't think many Spurs fans or other people would have, at the beginning of the season, would have tipped Spurs for Champions League. Mm. They have been the one who has seized the opportunity because it was genuinely there for Arsenal, for West Ham and for Spurs because of Manchester United's I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say demise, but poor form this season. There was a spot there mm. that genuinely three or four teams could have, including Manchester United, could have challenged for. Spurs were the one who took the initiative. Those two signings in January were the difference. They absolutely were. Without if they question. don't make yeah, those yeah. signings, they don't get Champions League. I agree that. I agree. And that yeah. is, that. And if you look at what Spurs have got a history of, that's very unlike Spurs. And Daniel Levy actually deserves a hell of a lot of credit for, for taking that leap on a manager who had only been there a few months. I'm glad you've mentioned Daniel Levy in serving credit because he must look at the situation now and be like, whoa, we almost, like we kind of got out of jail here because we brought in Mourinho, didn't work. And to his credit, when he saw that wasn't working, he did act quite swiftly. If you consider the amount that he was backing that, not only just emotionally and financially, he made that turnaround quick. He's almost got a kind of second bite at this one. It's almost like now you've got Conte, now you've got one of the handful of mm. coaches in the world who's truly outstanding. You need to back this person in the transfer market. Just, just do, yeah. just, just, it's almost, I, feel, I feel like someone just needs to take it to one side and be like, okay, this is incredible. Daniel, like very good in the transfer window now. Can you just, can you listen to like the rest of us? Can you actually like <laughs> give this man an yeah. infrastructure? Give this man like a three-year certainty of like, put the players in place that are going to make this team play this football because they, they gave like, they gave the teams ahead of them trouble. This is the thing. Spurs almost gave a preview of how dangerous they could be next year if they get the money. And Pep, 100%. Pep is looking at that and going, I don't like what they're building there. No, do you know what? And for a couple of teams in the Premier League, that extra Champions League place can't come quick enough. It cannot. It cannot. Because they're going to fucking need them. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to need it. Absolutely. You know, because like if, if <laughs> the only thing is, is that can you really imagine Conte being there for four or five years? Probably not. No. But, but then actually, give him the money and see actually, how happy he is. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? At a certain point in manager, managerial careers, you've seen it with Pep. Ex no one would have thought Pep would have been at City this long. This is the thing. Right. Some, even sometime Pe even in your... Yeah, in managerial in your managerial career, you kind of want a place to land, and if you have a board and a chairman who will listen to you and actually back you, they're going to be fine for money. Spurs, they've got Champions League now. He's safe. He's so safe in a job, and I think that if I was Conte, I would be like, obviously, my Arsenal fandom is just like no, mm. but Stadio 
Brian is like, if I was Conte, I'd actually, I'd be like, this is a no brainer. Can I say this as well? Even, even the kind of players they're linking with Spurs. Like exactly. Gabriel Jesus is the most, he's the most Conte Spurs player that you could be bringing in as a striker. If you look around yeah. Europe, who really has the stability and the guaranteed income of, the, of, a, of a top four or five Premier League side? Right. Really. You look at how like La Liga are wilding out because of the Mbappe thing. PSG are all over the place anyway. They're just like a club that's successful whose own fan groups are kind of heavily criticising them because they're just like, this is crap, what are you doing? Grotesque. It's a weird, weird, wild world out there, Musa. And mm. if you, you know, North London is a lovely part of the world to live. You've got the best new build stadium in Europe. Mm. You've got a really good core group of players there. You're back in the Champions League. For Spurs, it's the first time they've really had a manager with that kind of CV at this point in their career at the club and have started achieving from the jump. And with Chelsea's rebuild, they should be looking at third. They should. I think everyone should. should. With their ambition, with their ambitions as they are and the quality they have there and with Kane looking happy again and with Son outstanding, if they rebuild well, and they will need, I think it's about, I think it's three or four players they have to bring in though, just in terms of support roles and in terms of just the natural lag of players, you know, just the wear and tear. And they're going to, and bear in mind, they were out of the cups and out of the conference league because of that COVID thing. Mm. They're obviously not going to want to go out of the Champions League. And I don't, I don't think they will go out. Spurs have been pretty good at getting through the group. So it's exciting. Is, they're going to need, yeah. they're going to need cover. And then obviously they lost Matt Doherty as well, just at a point in the season where he was coming really, really good and being a really important player for Conte. They've got over the line at a crucial point in the season without him. Yeah, yeah. And he was really massive for Conte. So I think it's looking really positive for Spurs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They're just way more ready to go back into the Champions League than Arsenal were. Very much so, very much so. But you know, Arsenal, on the other hand, new kits that look very nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, a nice final day win uh, over Everton, who were already safe. I think it's a good slash very good for Arsenal this season. Yeah, I think think he did like a seven and a half out of 10 this year. I would but say. I, like I say, I think that they would have looked at what Spurs did and been like, fuck, if we just signed a couple more players, if we'd signed any, a couple of players in January, yeah, who yeah. knows? Totally agree. And, but they didn't. And they Spurs didn't. did. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. There's other things we need to talk about in the Premier League, but I thought we'd maybe save them for right itself. So obviously like we need to talk about Brighton, yep. give them a lot of love. We need to talk about Brentford. We need to talk about obviously Leeds staying up as well. Yes. Maybe we'll save those for, for, for right house. Sounds good. Because then they'll get loads of time from the boys. And all the appreciation they deserve. Yeah. All right. Should we take a quick break? Let's do it. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. 
All right, and where now? Serie A. We've got to go to Milan. We have to go to Milan. Congratulations to AC Milan. First league title in 11 years. Stefano Pioli could arguably have been coach of the season for the last two years. He's been that good. And he arguably, very nearly, might not have been there. Right, which is wild. I mean, there's a, there's a parallel universe in which Ralph Rangnick is in charge of AC Milan. And as gifted as Rangnick is, I can't think of another coach who could have brought this transformation. You know, the brilliance of Stefano Pioli. So first of all, Milan going to the last game of the season against Sassuolo needing a point to win it because they were ahead of Inter on the head-to-head. So Inter had a much better goal difference, but if Milan basically drew against Sassuolo, they would um, they'd win the league. This is not an easy place to go, Sassuolo, even though they had nothing to play for, really, the last game. But Milan, like, went at them with what can only be described as ferocity. They beat them 3-0. They were 3-0 up after about half an hour, and they were spectacular. They were spectacular. 17, 32, 36 minutes. They absolutely minutes, Three goals in 19 minutes, and they were done. Very smug again, because I watched this game, and Milan were just... You know, this is the thing about a team with title-winning momentum. If you look at the contributions that are made by Teo Hernandez, an outstanding attacking left-back who other teams in Europe will be looking at, rightly so. Rafael Liao, named player of the season. I think he got like, ended up with 10 goals and 11 assists. And he got and, three, three assists in this game. He assisted for all three goals. And Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud. So Zlatan got eight goals in about in 11 starts and 23 appearances. Mm-hmm. But really the standout striker for man this season was Olivier Giroud. Like in terms yeah. of leading the line, decisive moments, not just contributions. Actually a great video by Seb Stafford-Bloor. I love this video so much. Seb Stafford-Bloor over at TIFO did a great video about Olivier Giroud's contribution to France's 2018 World Cup. And I talk, I talk all the time about the introduction of Giroud in the group stages to give uh, France a fixed point in the attack. And he did the same thing for Milan this season, giving them a fixed point of attack so the attack midfielders can play around him with real fluidity. And then you allow the on-running uh, the onrushing midfielders like Sandro Tonali. Sandro Tonali, for example, really benefiting from Giroud pinning the centre-backs. He can make those late runs. And we saw all of Giroud's creativity, both as a goal scorer and an enabler of play, come in in the final stretch. So it's just mm. such an exciting win for Milan, not just because they won the league and it's cathartic in that sense, but because tactically they were so astute in so many games. And if you'd said that Milan would reconfigure their attack around Giroud, having had to first lose Zlatan, you know, towards the end of last year, because Zlatan lost these intensities towards the end of last year, and also Ante Rebic. If you'd said they do it that effectively against this Inter, I would have said, mm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that they will be able to sustain that. But they did it. They did it, man. They're brilliant. Like, even the points total. Inter were yeah, good this year as well. Really good. This is the best points total they've had, I think, Milan, in about 16 years. Wow. That's incredible. Fioli's amazing. Yeah. I mean, to the disrespect that was being placed on him by all of the Rangnick talk, and he just kept, he just kept doing his job, kept those Rolnicks going. Can we say as well, shout out to Money Mike Menon and goal. Of course. Money Mike. <laughs> most clean sheets last year in Ligue 1, and most clean sheets this year in Serie A. He's amazing. Brilliant keeper. He's amazing. Imagine if someone said Donnarumma will not be missed at the start of the season. I know. I know. Chalanolu will not be missed. That's like unbelievable. This sounds like one of those like James Brown and the JB's tunes when they're kind of jamming and James Brown's just like, Chalanolu will not be missed. And they're all like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Donnarumma, 
He won't be missed. Yeah. Yeah. Without Zlatan, we'll be just fine. Yeah. Like, because Zlatan yeah. he did contribute, of course. But like, in terms of the late run, when they needed really players to pull out in his absence, because, you know, injury and, and age, Frank, you know, he's 40. Like, you can't play yeah. all those minutes. You know, Giroud played twice as many minutes as Zlatan did. I think Zlatan played a thousand. I think Giroud was like 1900. So like, they really, there's a lot of mileage on Zlatan at the moment. But when it was time for other players to step up, in mm. attack, Giroud did it. In midfield, like Tonali like, had a tough start to time Milan, but it's really lovely to see him get a couple of goals later on in the run. A bit of a redemptive season for him and a redemptive arc. It was nice to see Frank Cassier scoring on his final game as well. Yeah, oh, what a finish. And, no. and, and, and for Kaio Tomori in defence and Kalulu. Like, oh my God. The way, that, just... the way that these players stepped up. They've got some really great young players at Milan. Yeah, really great, yeah. Serie A is looking amazing. It has been my favourite season. It's a tale of optimism, I think, for other leagues that are dominated by big forces because I don't think a few years ago if you said that Inter are going to win the league and then Milan are going to win it the league after, when Juve were on that run, you'd be like, what? No way. And I know that the gap is, is wider in, in other countries, but it might happen in the Bundesliga. It's got to come to an end sometime. Yeah. And it might happen in Liga. It's got to come to an end sometime. I mean, it has happened in Liga in, in, you know, with Monaco and then Lille winning the league. But in terms of a genuinely competitive top four race, yeah, it can happen because I don't think people would have thought this would have been the case for Serie A and the quality would have been still so high. Yes. That's the best thing about it. So props to Milan, props to Pioli. Hey, props to Ivan Gazidis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought I'd be saying that. What was that meme going around? You should be ashamed of yourself, Gazidis. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Anyway. Really great. Do you know what? Because it's, it's easy to criticise club infrastructure and management and recruitment. So it's just nice to be able to praise a club for getting everything right on and off the field. I think doing a U-turn on Rangnick is one of the most genuinely like gangster executive moves I've seen from a club in a few years. It's bold, isn't it? Actually. Yeah. Yeah. But actually like we've got the guy right here. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at what's like going on Pe- in Germany like at the moment. Like with- it's like Pep at Barcelona Mourinho, isn't it? I mean, what's going on? Look at Dortmund at the moment. They parted ways with Marco Rosa. Terzic is going to be back in. Yeah. Gutsy from Dortmund though, to make a move like that. It's really gutsy. They could have done the, the Pioli Rangnick thing last season and been like, actually yeah. Terzic is doing a really good job here. Like, they could have, really, yeah. But, so what happens when you sign your or announce your new manager in January or February? True. While we're in Germany, we should we should probably go across the German yeah. Cup final. Yeah, we should. Oh, Freiburg. <sighs> RB Leipzig beating Freiburg in the German Cup final at the Olympiastadion on Saturday evening. They won 4-2 on penalties. After being a goal down, thanks to Maximilian Eggerstein, uh, 19 minutes in, there was a handball before slightly off who was it it was Roland Salai but because of this law about it it wasn't in a natural position it kind of bounced up off of control and because it wasn't the goal scorer mm. it was allowed it was a lovely finish though yeah beautiful goal 10 minutes or so after half time Marcel Halstenberg got sent off for pulling down I can't remember who he yanked down on the counter attack I'm not it sure was. oh it was Hula sorry outside the box clear red card so that gave Freiburg, what, half 35 minutes or so to play against 10 men? But I have to say, like RB Leipzig, the creativity and attack and the intensity, they applied so much pressure even with 10 men. Yeah, I mean, well, they've got one of the deepest squads in the Bundesliga. Yeah, they do. And Nkunku was outstanding, mm. just in terms of his intensity, his movements. He got the equaliser. The only consolation I would give to Freiburg is that wasn't 
Like you look at the goal that was conceded, the ball was whipped back in and it was a flick on from the centre forward and then Nkunku comes in at the far post, but that's an elite run. Like a lot mm. of, a lot of, um, we saw it actually in the Scottish Cup final early on for Hearts where the guy hesitates, he checks his run, the Hearts striker, and that's what makes the difference. And that's why he hits the post and misses it. And Nkunku was on the move before the flick on came. And there's, mm. there's very few forwards in world football that get there to tap it in from two yards out. I think it's one of those ones where you look at it, oh, that's an easy finish. But look at the movement he made prior to it and the yeah. angle and the gamble that he makes. That's a brilliant piece of movement that very few forwards, frankly, in the Bundesliga or anyone else actually actually make. So yeah, very unfortunate for Freiburg. And then they were brilliant in extra time. They like, hit the woodwork, I think, two or three times. I know. I know. They really went, in, extra time almost gave Freiburg additional juice, really. Yeah. And they really went at it. Um, See a gutting film, they lost it. And, and then Gunter's been instrumental for them, put it over the bar, which is kind of heartbreaking. It was the extra heartbreak they didn't need. Yeah. The only consolation I had that night was I went straight out drinking with some friends, Freiburg fan, <laughs> Freiburg fan included. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then Demovic hit the bar and that was that. And yeah. uh, it's RB Leipzig's first major trophy. Yeah. It's not a popular win, this, in Germany. I think mm. everyone can understand why. There was also some, some scenes afterwards. Uh, I think a photographer got taken had a medical emergency. So the presentation was delayed and stuff and huge praise to the medical professionals. The, the photographer's fine. Yeah. It created a very strict, there was a very strange atmosphere in the stadium apparently with, because Freiburg were obviously the, the quote unquote people's choice to win. We've talked about Freiburg so much and it was just amazing that they'd even got there, their first ever cup final. Mm. Wasn't Leipzig's first cup final, but it was their first ever trophy, yeah. major trophy uh, in their just over a decade long existence. Pictures afterwards of Leipzig players pouring Red Bull into the Pokal trophy and stuff like that. And I think just the symbolism of that, like yeah. driving it home, it, it it's quite jarring for a lot of people who consider the 50 plus one rule and the, the cultural aspect of German football like really sacred. Mm. It is quite jarring. I find it I find it quite jarring to be honest. Yeah, I'll be yeah, honest. I do. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that we've talked about Leipzig before and, and we, how uneasy we feel about the club models. We try and separate those, you know, we can talk about them in a tactical sense and whether Jesse Marsh was the right fit at the beginning of the season and how good a job Tedesco's done. And he has done a really good job. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And he does deserve a lot of praise because he's a really good coach. Yeah. But also the wider symbolism of it, I think it's, it's an issue for Jesse. Yeah, that's an issue. I think, and, and the reason why it was jarring, I think particularly because of obviously what Christian Strike has done. Yeah. I mean, you literally have two opposite ends of the, the kind of the top level football spectrum in Germany. In terms of what that cup would have meant for Freiburg, just in terms of like Strike's arc and his time in charge. Mm. It was almost like it was the trophy that the cabinet deserved. And also like it's, it's much harder for Freiburg to get back to a stage like this. Like they, oh, 100%. It's much, yeah. much harder to get back here. You know, Leipzig can be here like every, every so often. There was always... Even when they got to the quarters, like I just, there was always a feeling they'd end up in the final. I always thought. Yeah, I, mean, be, they, I mean, they were in the final last year, lost to Dortmund. Exactly. I always know, thought so it'd like, be one. Mm. I always thought it'd be them and one other, like yeah. from the late stages of this tournament. So yeah, on a footballing level, they're a very good team. Yes. Leipzig. Yes. Tedesco has coached them really, really well, and the turnaround since Marsh left has been extraordinary. Really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But again, they. I think this this highlights just how poor. Marsh's time at Leipzig was it's at least the second best squad in, in the Bundesliga I would agree yeah and he has done really well in turning that round so quickly yeah and then ending the season with silverware but for, for Streich and Freiburg I mean the fans afterwards stayed all the way were applauding them Streich went over to them individually on his own 
and they were just there giving him an amazing reception. 30,000 of them in Berlin. Amazing. Just unbelievable. And no problems. An unbelievable season for them. A lovely thing actually Matt Ford wrote because they had the Oscurva in the Olympic Stadium, which is Hertha's home end. And the Freiburg fan groups passed around leaflets before the game saying, we're in, this is Hertha BSC's home end. Please don't stick her anywhere. Oh, that's lovely. Like respect that we're in their home end and obviously no, basically no discriminatory chanting of any kind or any kind of discrimination, blah, blah, blah. It's a bloody good football club, that football club. There were so many Freiburg fans around at the weekend in Berlin. Mm. It was lovely. And you saw them. It was always a bit of a nod. It was really lovely, mm. actually. Yeah, yeah. They'll be in Europe yeah. next year. Yeah. And I'm absolutely 100% going to try and go. Fantastic. Because seeing them in Europe is going to be amazing. Do you want to touch on the Scottish Cup final quick? Because it was a nice, ended a, ended a difficult week for ages. Absolutely. They got the 2-0 win. Yeah. Very, very impressive. And they had to do it the hard way. They went all the way into extra time for this against Hearts, who were like tough opponents, actually. But Rangers still managed to generate some kind of chances. And it's, to their credit, they, they came out with some kind of intensity considering you know, the huge disappointment of that, of that defeat to Eintracht. Mm. And it was the first win in, what, I think 13, 13 years or something? The first Scottish Cup in 13 years? Wow. So, yeah, they've really liked, they've, they've suffered. And hopefully this is a kind of redemptive arc for them because obviously they won the league last year um, and Celtic took that back. So to end the season without as of the Scottish Cup or the league would have been, I think, a bit brutal for them considering the run they've been on. Shout out to Ryan Jack and Scott Wright. They played a really, really strong extra time, actually. Ryan Jack got an absolutely gorgeous strike. Gordon was uh, appealing for handball, actually. It was quite weird. The ball came through a crowd of players and I think it was kind of more for and hope was offside uh, as a handball. And then Scott Wright, who came on as a sub and just added so much intensity and energy and got a beautiful um, final go to, to run that off. So a really strong season for Rangers. And uh, in the words of a great great scouts so they will go again they will go again yeah. next year alright quickly before we wrap Kylian Mbappe shocks the world he's going to stay at PSG yes he's going to stay at PSG and it's all kicked off it has kicked off first of all let's talk about it from a footballing sense because yeah. we, can't, we don't want to spend too much time on this no. I imagine it's hard to assess it in a footballing in a purely footballing sense okay so what does it mean I mean PSG's opponents will be like oh god like that's the one footballer if he'd left we can make a run at this title because he's the most consistent attacker in that front line. He's the most consistent goal scorer in that front yeah. line. And in terms of the shift, what that does for Madrid, Madrid should be concerned because I think actually here's, here's the funny thing actually, weird enough in a footballing sense, this allows Rodrigo to emerge really, really well. Benzema's got a couple more years in him. Actually, this could be like the making of Madrid's new front line because Rodrigo stepped up big time, right? If you look at the kind of goals that Mbappe has been brought in to score for Madrid, you could argue that Rodrigo is already scoring them like in terms of what he's doing So, like, and his trajectory. So Rodrigo Vinicius, either side of Benzema next year, is a very nice problem for Madrid to have. What this does, though, is it sends a signal to Barcelona that if they recruit well, if they do get Lewandowski, mm. then that's a big problem for Real Madrid domestically. That's a they huge got coming in, right? Right, right. Barcelona should be very excited about yeah. next season for this in terms of the footballing side. The fact that Mbappe's chosen to stay and build something at PSG, some might say, oh, that affects like, you know, Madrid's star quality. No, they're Real Madrid. Like Madrid have missed out on huge players before. They'll miss out on huge players again and they'll carry on winning. So that's as far as I see from a football side. I don't know what you think, but I feel to me, this is just more about the balance of power more than anything else. 
Uh, from a footballing sense, I think PSG have really looked out here. They desperately needed him to stay. Yeah. And I think that they should take this as a sign that they have a 23-year-old who is going to be the best player in the world. Yeah. You know, he's pushing pretty close for a bit already. Mm. They need to build around him smartly. They do not need to fuck around and spend loads and loads of money on other people who aren't going to feature. They've got a really good coach there who might, he might not be there any longer, but who knows. But they do have a really good coach there. And they do have a few really young players. They've got Ashraf Hakimi. They have Kylian Mbappe. They've got a very young goalkeeper who's going to be one of the world's best goalkeepers for a long, long time. They've got players there who literally could play for PSG for a decade. Yeah. Build your team around them. Marquinhos isn't even 30 yet, right? It feels like he's been around forever. You've got players there who have got time on the clock. What PSG need to stop doing is worrying about their social status in the, in the global game and just focus on winning shit. Well, here's the worrying thing for PSG's rivals, both in France and abroad. There's talk that Luis Acampos, who recruited so much of that great Uscars, but that great Monaco team, might be going to PSG. That happens, that's a game changer because then you go from Leonardo to Acampos, who is regarded as one of the very best in Europe at doing that and maximizing talent, finally maximizing. So if PSG do that, it's another world entirely. And this is why the decision, and he's something obviously worked closer than Mbappe, so knows him well. That happens, that's a big what if moment. We can look back at the securing of Mbappe's signature as one of the big what if moments in modern football. It could be that big. It might not be, but it still could be, considering because now you have Mbappe as a recruiting tool mm. in a way you didn't have before explicitly, because like, you know, Messi will be gone in a couple of years, Neymar's aging on his way out. Di Maria's gone. Like, really, it's actually, Mbappe is the marquee guy here. Like, he's the one yeah. that you're like, you want to play with Mbappe? Or you want to play with Kylian? Okay, let's build you in. And then you've got all these brilliant yeah. young players. PSG, if they didn't already have the pick of the world's young players before, with the money they can offer, they, they're going to have it now. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is intimidating news for the rest of Europe, I think. La Liga were, to use an internet phrase, rattled. Another one, in their feelings. They were in their feelings about this. Oh my this. God. Yeah. So in their feelings. They released a statement before the decision had even been confirmed saying, and I quote, On Kylian Mbappe's possible announcement to stay at PSG, La Liga wishes to state that this type of agreement attacks the economic stability of European football, putting at risk hundreds of thousands of jobs and the integrity of the sport, not only in European competitions, but also in domestic leagues. It is scandalous that a club like PSG which last season reported losses of more than 220 million euros after accumulating losses of more than 700 million in prior seasons, while reporting sponsorship income at doubtful valuation, with a squad cost around 650 million for this season, can close such an agreement while those clubs that could afford the hiring of the player without seeing their wage bill compromised are left without able to sign him. I mean, here's the thing, they're in their feelings, but they're also right. They're fundamentally right. Like they check this though. The yeah. rest of the, the Liga will file a complaint against PSG before UA for the French the French administrative court and fiscal authorities and European Union authorities to continue to defend the economic ecosystem of European football and its sustainability. There's something quite hilarious about. I mean, he, yeah, they are right in a sense, yes, yeah. for sure. But also, 
I mean, we've talked about this a million times about wouldn't it be great if Mbappe could potentially go to Ajax, you know, or Napoli or yeah. wherever, and there were more destinations. Now, La Liga does isn't exactly a financial beacon of fairness and it is not sustainability. It is not. Yeah, you know, they've got better at it, but still, it's not great. No, it's not. So this is the league that proposed playing a game in another country for the hell of it to maximise Yeah, just just because, uh, I don't know, there is something in this, but at the end of the day, how much more can we go on about, like, we know how distorted the market is. The thing is, a lot of people who have been complicit in the pre-state owning a football club, hyper-commercialisation and capitalist approach to top-level football are now coming crying about it when someone else is doing it. Yeah, it's like, it's like maximise revenue. Oh no, not like that. No, 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 just our revenue. Not like, yeah, yeah. No, oh, no, just our yeah. revenue, not anyone else's revenue. No. The horse has bolted. I saw someone talking about these projects, these state-owned sport-washing projects, and I was like, yeah, but this the wheels for this were set in turn so yeah, many we, years we, ago. And yeah, to be honest, gone over this. And we, so yeah, and we, and we, we could have done with your help when you had the leverage. Yeah. You should have you should have maintained a fair and play, even playing field ages ago. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're wrong this time, but it's just like, it's a weird look for an association or a league like, can if if Holland had gone to to Real Madrid, for example, do you think the Premier League would have released a statement saying like, it's a fucking disgrace, right? Like La Liga will be fine mm. this year. It's been mega fun. Like I I I worried about it. I think the overall quality may have dipped a little bit, but Real Madrid into the Champions League final, and you had Villarreal into the semi final. La Liga is going to be fine. Put it this way. No one's drawing Spanish clubs in the cha- in Champions League or Europa League or the conference and, going, and laughing. Yes, no one's yeah, laughing. No and that, you know, that's very funny because you know what? People are getting a bit cocky, I think, in the last couple of years. Oh, Spanish clubs. Are, ha, they're back. The Scorpion is back in they're the fine. sock. Yeah, the Scorpion's mm. back in the sock. We'll see how that La Liga stuff plays out and we'll revisit that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. All right, man, we need to bounce. Oh, actually, just quickly before we do in France, props to Marseille. They guarantee qualification for next year's Champions League because yes. they missed out this year in the qualifier. So, guaranteed, they finished second. Wow. Champions League night's back at the Velodrome. That's going to be noisy. It's indeed. Uh, we'll do more roundup stuff on, on Wednesday. We're going to do the Conference League final and maybe a couple of other bits that we missed from the weekend. Um, but yeah, don't forget, more Premier League stuff and the Women's Champions League will be on Writer's House. That'll go up Tuesday evening, early af- uh, late afternoon, evening, UK, European time. Stadio will be back on Thursday. Yes, yes. Um, don't forget to check stadio.footballscore to the bottom, pop your email address in. Stadio Actuals playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on a nice kind of woozy calm end of season one well it's a jukebox by hydroplane uh, anything you want to add me to Kwanga? seeing as this is the final the final domestic yeah can i just throw this in i do have a quick shout out actually for an early supporter of this podcast mash st paddy whose beloved bromley fc bromley. won the fe trophy for the first they time did. against Wrexham. so yeah shout out to bromley that's been a real journey for them shout out to mash he was very excited so were his students today so yeah just shout out to bromley that's a wonderful achievement for them also props to Sunderland who beat Wickham in the playoff. Oh, phenomenal. To go back to the championship. And then next week we've got the uh, championship playoff to find out who goes to the Premier League. So I suppose this isn't the finals domestic stadio. There'll be more talk, yeah. The games keep on coming. There'll be more uh, talk, yeah. All right, anyway, much love everyone. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 